0: Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Still. What I want in my life is to be willing to be dazzled, to cast aside the weight of facts, and maybe even to float a little above the difficult world. I want to believe I am looking into the white fire of a great mystery. I want to believe that the imperfections are nothing, that the light is everything that it is more than the sum of each flawed blossom rising and fading. And I do. Good morning, my beloved friends, and happy Easter. Well, that may sound like a weird greeting on this Sunday after the Sunday when we celebrated Easter, but technically we are still celebrating Easter Day. You see, in the history of the Church, the Easter Day is actually an eight-day celebration known as the Easter Octave. We are also in the 50 days of the season between Easter and Pentecost, the season that we call Eastertide, a time when we are invited to rediscover and remember what it is to be, as we said last week, Easter people. So what exactly does that mean? I talked about that in our Easter sermon last week, but now that we are in Eastertide, I want to stay with it and explore even more what it means to be an Easter people. I think at least in part, it is what this beautiful poem, again by Mary Oliver, is suggesting. A willingness to be dazzled, to cast aside the weight of, of facts at times, to believe in the greatness of mysteries. To be Easter people also means that we look to the story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection to find strength and courage and hope for our own journeys. So over the course of this season of Eastertide, we will try to rediscover together and remember some of that who we are as Easter people, and what we are called to do if we accept that moniker for our lives. This story that we just heard in the Gospel of John, of Jesus' appearance, first to his petrified disciples, and then with Thomas, a week later, is always read on this particular Sunday, the Sunday following the celebration of Easter. It is often referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas, and we now use that phrase, don't we, to describe someone who is of little faith or someone who is being skeptical. And for the most part, I think that label is pejorative. It has a negative connotation, pointing out someone's lack of faith or confidence in someone else or in a situation. But I think we have missed something important in this story, if that is the only way that we hear how Thomas is asking for what he needs. Thomas is needing to see Jesus himself. We hear at the beginning of the story that the disciples are gathered in a house with the door locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. It is evening, and even though they have heard reports of the empty tomb and some have even now seen the empty tomb for themselves, the disciples must be feeling pretty skeptical at this point. These disciples had risked everything they knew to follow and believe in this man and his message. They had traveled with him, they ate with him, laughed with him, cried with him, and gradually they learned to trust him and his message of love. Then they watched as he was arrested and tortured, humiliated, crucified, and buried in a tomb. What a shock to their systems this must have been. How confused they must have felt. And now here they were being asked to believe the unthinkable, to somehow trust what could not have seemed real to them. They were being asked to trust in a completely new experience of Jesus, now The risen Christ. What did it take for them to trade in their sense of loss and betrayal for a new acceptance, a new believing, as we said last week, to cross over into a new world, a new way of following this Messiah? each of them must have somehow found a way, consciously or unconsciously, to rewrite the story, the narrative, their fundamental way of believing and perceiving reality. They were in the midst of grieving the most significant loss in their lives, I suspect. Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. They had been abandoned and they were now lost and not knowing what to do next. They had to have readjusted their entire frame of reference in such a significant way that the old story, the old story in them could die and in its place, a new story could be written. And that is the moment I'm interested in today. In fact, that is the moment that I'm interested in for this whole season of Eastertide. The moment when we too are courageous enough to let an old story that has held meaning to us die in order for a new, more life-giving story to take root. That is one of the ways we are called to be Easter people. Learning to tell our stories in such a way that God's light and love underscore the narrative and purpose of who we are called to be. Social researcher and good Episcopalian Brene Brown helps shed more light on how and why this kind of work is so important in each of our lives today when she writes this. In the absence of data, we will always make up stories, It's how we're wired, she writes. In fact, the need to make up a story, especially when we are hurt, is part of our most primal survival wiring. Meaning-making is in our biology, and our default is often to come up with a story that makes sense, feels familiar, and offers insight into how to best self-protect. And isn't that what our disciples actually were doing as well? How could they possibly make meaning in the midst of their grief? And yet, there they were, lost and frightened, following the death of their Messiah, their Rebbe, the one that they had believed was sent to liberate and to lead them to a new life, the one who promised to be with them to the end of all time. Here they are, feeling not only abandoned, I suspect, but most likely in fear for their own safety. Remember, they are locked in a house in fear of the religious authorities. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. The doors are still locked. No one has opened a window, but there he is, Jesus, standing among them. So how audacious must it have been when Thomas, who wasn't even there at the meeting, tells them that he not only doesn't believe them, but he won't believe them unless he sees and touches Jesus for himself. I get that, don't you? How many times have we heard someone else's profession of faith and thought to ourselves, Well, I have no idea what that person is really talking about, and frankly... I can't believe what they're saying, not for myself. I need to have my own experience in order to believe or to understand something. So for me, Thomas becomes a kind of biblical superhero, actually, showing us and doing what others maybe only think but don't have courage to say. Thomas shows up fully, and then he asks for what he needs, probably risking quite a bit amongst the other disciples. He is the one that seems to be asking what the other disciples couldn't find a word to say. He puts himself out there. He makes himself vulnerable to ask for what he needs. What will the other disciples think of him for asking so much? But it is through that willingness That willingness to ask for what he needs that allows him to move forward and in the end is what affirms his faith. He isn't locked in fear, creating a story of lack or limit, not like the other disciples. His questioning of the resurrection actually is his pathway for a deeper faith. So all of that has me wondering a lot of things for us and our journey at Trinity as well. What questions do we have? What are we maybe afraid to ask about? What unspoken doubts, if given voice, might move us deeper into our own faith journey? How much is either our certainty or our uncertainty about faith or God or religion keeping us locked in fear or doubt or shame? What would happen if we could channel just a little bit of Thomas's chutzpah today to ask for what we need as well? I believe we're not that different from Thomas. And I think that he offers us a beautiful gift if we can hear it and see it today. Maybe we remember how to show up fully when we channel Thomas. Maybe we can learn to be vulnerable and ask our questions of one another. So as we continue to move further into this season of Eastertide, may we be courageous, courageous in our willingness to let old stories die so new stories can fill our lives and maybe even change our faith. Maybe these new stories can challenge us to die a little bit to self so that we can be reborn in a new way of living and loving, following the risen Christ. I want to believe, as Mary Oliver says, that the imperfections are nothing, that the light is everything, that there is more than the sum of each flawed blossom rising and fading. And I do. Alleluia. Christ is risen. They are risen indeed. Alleluia. May it be so.